Well, hey there. I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters, and I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who's been covering beauty, style, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all of the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll find the foremost experts to unearth what's new, what works, and even what you shouldn't waste your money on. I'm on the hunt for the latest and greatest discoveries and strategies to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. And incidentally, this is going to be our last one for 2022. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce my guest to you. Her name is Georgia Foster. She is a clinical hypnotherapist and voice dialogue trainer. She is known as the go-to expert in the UK and Australia for food and alcohol issues. Georgia has written many books and developed a number of online self-help programs about self-esteem, anxiety, emotional overeating, and drinking. Georgia has been featured regularly in media outlets such as Good Housekeeping, Psychology's Magazine, and the Times newspaper. Oh, and the morning show and more about her unique and highly successful approach and is a regular speaker on the power of the mind. Hi, Georgia. How are you? Hello, welcome. Welcome to my world in Australia. Yeah. Welcome to New York. This is quite a difference, time difference here. I, I love having guests from all over the world on, and we are going to talk about something very timely considering the new year is coming up. And a lot of people talk about dry, excuse me, dry January. And um, we're going to talk about that today. Um, So let's start with this. What are your thoughts about dry January? I think it's a great idea as a way to just take a break from the booze. You know, like I think if you, if you're a regular drinker, then January is a good time because it's the beginning of the year. It's a great health goal. It's also for a lot of people who drink, you know, alcohol on a regular basis might want to get rid of their booze belly a bit. Um, look, I think it's great. I my, A lot of my audience do dry January just to, just to heal the liver a bit because we know the alcohol is not good for the liver, too no. much of it. But then equally food is as well. So I always say to people, you know, don't just think about when you quit the booze for the month. You've got to think about helping your liver heal. You know, do a double whammy while you're at it. You know, and have make sure you're having sort of unprocessed foods and foods that the liver, the liver recognizes. So, but the thing about Dry January for me, I have a program called Dry January that people can buy. But the thing about it is, I want people to go back to February drinking in a better way. So. You know, my work as a hypnotherapist and, and the psychology that I'm trained in is really about so how your mind works, it goes on default. So, for example, if you go through January and don't drink, which is absolutely fantastic, but you go back to February and you drink the way that you normally do, which is what we tend to do, mm-hmm. is then the habit's still there, the overdrinking habit's still there. So, what I'm saying is with the power of your mind, you can. Instead of using this, you know, the, the the same old default position because the mind is very lazy and it habitually says, right, so, oh, my goodness, you're back at work and your stress is, 
you know, the stress at work or your boss isn't very nice or you're having an argument with your partner and you think, oh, I'm just going to go and have some wine or whatever. Um, your mind, because it works on your vulnerabilities and it's really, well, your mind does a lot of things, but one of the most important things emotionally mm-hmm. is it will want to keep you protected. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability can be stress. Another one is boredom. Like when we're bored, we tend to want to drink to entertain ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, stress, anxiety, insomnia is so many reasons why we drink. And if you use, if your mind has a history of using alcohol to deal with those emotions, you can have a fantastic dry January, but when you go back to the booze, you will tend to go back to those old habits. And that's where I step in with my programs. It's just like your mind will continually your conscious mind will say yeah let's go for it you know I'm not going to drink today but if you've had a stressful day your vulnerability it will go ding right it's got to be the gin and tonic ding it's got to be the beer and you think why I don't have any willpower I'm like yeah yeah it doesn't exist you've got to get both parts of the mind to be congruent to get the goal set really well so I'm more about damp January which is is a, a terminology that Quite a few journalists have been talking to me about this past week. And damp January is, so in Australia, January is not a good month for us to not abstain because it's our hottest month of the year. It's our oh. summer vacation time, right? All right. Okay. All the kids are off school, right? So okay. Aussies don't tend to do it. But when our kids start the new school year in February, everybody in Australia does dry February, right? So okay. it depends where you are in the world. But for me, damp January is a better option because we're doing barbecues and everything. So a lot of the Aussies like it. But I was talking to a couple of journalists and they were saying, well, we're really pro-damp damp January because it means you can still drink but you're not completely abstaining. So it's really about just drinking a little bit less, increasing your alcohol-free days but not abstaining completely. And I think that seems more manageable. So what you're saying is, a lot of people go into dry January um, and come out of it not with the same behaviors that they had in December. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, you can choose to go to default position or, right. or you know. I mean, as I said, I think January, it could be sober October, any month of the year. I think abstaining for a month. You know, I try and do a couple of months every single year not drinking alcohol because I think it's a good thing to do. But I just I mean, the liver regenerates itself, but, you know, if you're going to set those health goals, you need to think about your food consumption as well, definitely. Yeah, I would think in working out everything that's, like, healthy for you, I would think. But um, why do you think people drink too much? Well, exactly for those reasons I was talking about before. You know, emotions are really powerful, but what people don't understand, or a lot of people don't understand, is when we drink alcohol, we produce dopamine. So we're not getting hooked into the alcohol, we're getting hooked into the chemical reaction. So so I'm trained in a fantastic psychology, um, I call it, it's voice dialogue, but I call it inner dialogue because I work on a deeper level. And the theory is that we're all made up of many parts or sub-personalities. And there's one personality trait we all have called the inner critic. And it's the part that says, look at you, everybody's slimmer than you, you're, you know, you're not as interesting unless you drink or, um, you know, that person's 
you've got this beautiful house. Why are you not working harder? Why did you not do this in your life? So it's constantly berating you. Now, it is the primitive part of the brain. It's the fear-based part of the brain, and it works on our history of how we respond. So when you, if you have a strong inner critic and you drink alcohol to run away from it, which is what most people do, is it's really a powerful, quick fix to get some space from that inner critic. And people don't realize they're not running, a, they're, they're not, the drink is not the issue. It's, it's, the, it's the chemical reaction and that reprieve from that negative thinking. So people then the next day think, oh, I'm going to have to have a drink just to calm myself down or just to relax or just to, you know, a lot of people use alcohol to be present mm, and if they work day. So, you know, I say to people, my goal with, with my, my audience is to train them to tune out of the inner critic so that they're not using alcohol to get rid of it. And when you do that, then you don't need to drink with that, you know, velocity, with that fu- fast and furious kind of, you know, we say the first glass is emotionally medicinal, you know? Right, right, right. And you, you feel you have that first glass and you just feel like, your shoulders just kind of relax and, ah, you know, I, you get that ah, kind of feeling sometimes, or at least I do, but I call that inner dialogue. I call that your mean girl and you mean girl yourself, you know, just yeah. like, and, or your bitch. Yep. <laughs> or your inner bitch. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like it. I like it. So, okay, let's move on to that then. What is the inner critic? What is that? Yeah, so the inner critic, we're all born with an inner critic. It, you know, it, the bad news is you can't get rid of it. But depending on your history uh, and depending on, you know, how um, your self-esteem is, if your self-esteem is low, it's because you have a strong inner critic. If you have a low inner critic, it means you've got good self-esteem. So it really is the devil and the angel, I guess, in a way. But the inner critic was born, you know, the neuroscientists who studied you know, the fight or flight syndrome has studied how the brain actually works is the fear-based part of the brain is the amygdala. It's, a, it's the word for almond in Greek, actually. And it is almond shape. There's two of them at the back of the ear, at the back of the ears. And so when you are in a fear-based part of the brain, you are thinking negative thoughts. They, they, they come together. And the inner critic only works on your history, it can work on, for example, um, something stressful in, in the media and then it goes, oh, that might happen to me. Like a lot of people have a fear of flying, not because they have a fear of flying, but because they saw a movie called Airport 97, right? And, <laughs> yes. and, 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 they, and they were really in a bad space at the time and then their mind went, oh, that doesn't look too good. I'm not going to go there. And then the next day there's a, there's a media article about some plane crashing. So we. So the inner critic will will look out as well and create scenarios just in case they might happen, right? But it doesn't have a crystal ball. And this is the, one of the really important top tips is the inner critic cannot see into your future, but it will mm-hmm. pretend to from references from the past and external references. So if you believe that inner critic to be true, then it's a bit like the story of the guy who goes to see a psychic and she says, oh, you're going to die tomorrow. So he decides to stay in his bed all day. And then, you know, a cyclone comes through and and rips his house apart and 
his roof crashes on him and he dies. You know, we can't stop. You've got to can't stop your life. But right, I'm really about if the inner critic can't see your future, then you can plan for a really good future. And you know, I'm about so for people in terms of drinking in particular, the inner mm-hmm. critic would say. Um, well, we talked about the all or nothing thing, which is more the perfectionist style drinker, either drinking a lot or abstaining. Mm-hmm. But the, the inner critic is the part that will say, "You're, you know, you're going to go with your friend tonight. You're going to drink too much. Um, I know you're going to, you know, be a mess the next morning, and you're going to regret what you do. And then it it can be a self fulfilling prophecy. I was just going to say, it sounds like a self fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Okay. Because we don't believe it's the inner critic. We think it's us. Right. But what I'm saying is it's not you. It's a particular personality trait. It's a particular voice. Mm-hmm. And it's not based on truth. It's just an opinion. It's actually a bad habit. Mm-hmm. So I teach people to train their mind to tune out of that negative dialogue and to tune into that authenticity, that charismatic, sociable, doesn't worry what other people think so much. Be more intuitive because when you're in that space, you're not, you're not in the fear place. You're in the the, the prefrontal cortex, which is the the, um, the space in the middle of your forehead, just above your eyebrows. And the sages used to talk about this, you know, this third eye. They used to talk about, you know, this is the very spiritual connection. But now the neuroscience is saying the sages got it right, absolutely right. When you're in a good space here in the middle of your forehead, you know, when you're focusing, that part of your brain lights up when you're in a good space. So I'm about saying before you drink, what would be really good is to get you into that prefrontal cortex part of your brain, which can be induced by um, laughter, love, um, um, uh, like a, a really fun piece of music. You can break that state quite quickly. And there are you know some tips to do if you're having a I've got to have a drink moment. And one of them is to Break the state by shifting your emotions. Really important. Okay. okay. Because the, the inner critic is, is just one part, you know. And then if you're bringing in that lovely authentic, authenticity and that, that beautiful intuitive part that can save the day, and they're the kind of things that say, well, before you think about having that drink, what can you do to invite an opposite thought pattern? You know, look at your beautiful images of your beautiful children or your beautiful dog or go for a walk or, you know, sounding cliche, but put a funny movie on. Just start to break it so then your mind will recognize that drink isn't the only response. Okay. Now you talk about some different drinking styles. So can you tell me more? Let's start with one. Tell me more about the pleaser drinking style. Yeah, the pleaser would be your nurturer who they're beautiful at putting on a dinner when two people are sitting there but five turn up. They'll make one meal stretch to ten, right? They want to be loved and nurtured. They're they're people pleasers. They are always looking out for people Um, and they tend to be the regular heavy drinker. Um, and, and, And in food they would tend to be the one that's kind of bulimic. So I'm not saying that everybody who's a pleaser is bulimic, of course, but I'm saying is they're very much, um, they have a big issue saying the word no. Okay. And that includes booze, that includes the friend on the corner who 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 says, I haven't got any money, 
and you're, you know, the police doesn't have much money, but yeah, sure, I'll, I'll help you out. They're always looking out for people and they're beautiful people because they're liked, they're popular, uh, but the, the issue for pleasers is they forget about looking after themselves. So they tend to drink to, I've done everything for everybody else, it's my time for me. Now, it's traditionally a mother role, uh, uh, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, I know, I mean, my partner is a, is a real combination between the perfectionist and the pleaser, you know, very much intelligent, kind of gets, you know, gets things most of the time. But, you know, <laughs> but I mean, it's not a female role necessarily. But I think what <clears throat> the issue with pleasers is when they drink because they're not good at communicators, <clears throat> excuse me, they're not good at, they're not good at communicating and expressing how they feel. So they drink mm-hmm. to communicate. So, and they can attract bullies and narcissistic personality disorder because narcissists love a pleaser because pleasers always think, what's wrong with me? Right? Yeah. But when a pleaser drinks alcohol, if they're in some, like, for example, the boss who's not a very nice person and you go to the bar at like, the Christmas party and you say, you know what, you've been an asshole to me all year, you know? Right. And then, and then, you wake in the morning, you think, oh, my God, why did I say that to my boss, you know? <laughs> this is what pleasers do. So you're they saying have- that the alcohol helps them uh, say, like, what that, like what they've been stifling? You mean it's kind of like a truth serum for them? Correct. Okay. It builds up okay. because the inner critic keeps, keeps that guard there and says, you have to look good to everybody, you need to look after everybody. But when the inner critic goes away, remember it goes away when we drink alcohol. Right. So they stifle that you drown it with alcohol, basically. Right. And okay. then, and then, you know, I say to people like a client will say, "Oh, I said, um, when you had that difficult conversation with your husband about your life, right? There's something you're not happy about. Don't have a glass of wine in your hand because he'll say, "Oh, it's the booze talking." But when you have a cup of tea or coffee in your hand, they can't blame the booze. Right. Good point. Right. Right. So, so I, I, I teach pleasers to not drink to be that communicating that that portal to communication. Right. Um, so you then you can drink to enjoy rather than drinking to express. And then of course, you know, pleasers when they drink because they've kind of their anger, you know, festers when they're sober, and then when they drink, all of a sudden it's like, and they can get they can express themselves to the wrong person as well, which yeah. really should be with that person. It should be really with the person around the corner. You know what I mean? So. So what you're saying is they basically, it, it, it's a, it gives them confidence at that moment, but then they probably wake up the next morning and they're like, Oh my God, what have I done? Correct. Right? Yeah. And then they yeah. have to look at their text messages and their emails and think, Oh my God, what did I do? You yeah. know? Yeah. What That's did a I problem. Do? That's a problem. Yeah, I could see that. So, so th- that's another personality trait. And then, you know, but, you know, I need to be honorable because I'm a pleaser. It's really about learning to be assertive in your sober life. So it's lovely to be a nurturer. It's lovely to be, I mean, I was, I'm a, been a therapist for years. I mean, you, you have to be a pleaser to be a therapist because you want people to be happy. But right. it, it's to do with a balance and, it, you know, ticking the box. Am I overdoing it? Is this person a user? Um, is this person just somebody who I shouldn't really be connected with as much, you know? Right, right. So it probably the alcohol dulls those senses and they're 
it just blinds you even more to what's going on around you. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, oh my God, I you know what? I, it's funny. I see a little bit of that in myself. When I drink, I notice. Yeah. It's a good personality trait because people will like you because you've got a lot of empathy and people like people with empathy. And that's one of the pleasers, really great, great qualities. They're almost, a lot of pleasers can be almost psychic because they're so tuned into other people and their goal is to always be liked and loved. They will tend to be free therapists to a lot of people and be really good listeners, you know? But sometimes they say, you know what? I've had enough of looking after everybody else. Bring on the wine, get the kids to bed, go to, you know, sit down and just say, right, it's me. And I call that a solo party. There's nothing wrong with a solo party. (laughs) I like that. Okay. But it's if it if it becomes a bit habitual and the thing is what people don't understand is right to so that first glass of beer or that first cocktail or whatever it was um could have been helpful emotionally but we get tolerant to alcohol so to get rid of the inner critic you tend to have to get more in your gut you have to drink more and so a lot of people will drink very quickly um so i kind of incorporate what i call dowo drink one water one so you you have a glass of, you know, and also what's interesting about the, the brain, I talk about the mind from an emotional point of view, but the physical brain, if you're dehydrated, if you're a massive coffee drinker, if you drink a lot of Coca-Cola, um, you will probably be quite dehydrated. So when you have your first alcohol alcoholic drink, your brain thinks that liquid is going to hydrate you. So the first glass goes down really quickly and your body's saying, oh, my God, thank you for the liquid. And then it goes, oh, my God, this is not working. It's not this hydrating. Water. This isn't it's, water. It's not working. And right. it goes, get me more liquid. And so you drink more wine or more beer. It's saying this still isn't working, right? So to have big, big, like a big pint of water or jug of water, you know, just keep keep going. Because they say for every glass of wine, we can be as dehydrated of up to four glasses of water, right? Mm. So. I always say have a big glass of water before your first drink so at least your brain is adjusting and then it won't look for the alcohol to drink it so quickly. Yeah, I, I always ask for a glass of water if I'm out, you know, with if I'm at a yeah. bar or whatever, not that I do that all that much anymore. But if I am out, I always ask for a glass of water with my drink. Yeah. And then I, yeah. and then when no one's looking, I tend to put water in my drink. <laughs> yeah. So, to dilute it and so I drink well I'm a fast drinker so I I, I have to come up with these tricks because I tend well to- the other thing is no absolutely the other thing is that at least you're you're balancing it out so you're putting a bit in this dehydrating bit that is hydrating so you're you're kind of replacing but more importantly your liver is going to thank you because it's able to process the alcohol better and really yeah. you need to eat something when you're drinking as well because because the liver metabolizes alcohol better with food. Yes, that is for sure. And, you know, I've also found as I've gotten older, I just, I can tell I'm not processing alcohol as well. I, I know I'm not. And I, I feel it differently than I used to. Um, I drink less and it has a greater effect. You know, I, I have a hangover a lot easier than I did when I was younger. It takes me, and then when I do have a hangover, it takes me longer to recover. I just can feel that it's really, you know, wreaking havoc on my body. So I can see why, you know, 
taking a break is is good. But um, let's talk about the next personality type, and this is um, or drinking style, the perfectionist drinker. Tell me about that one. Yeah, that's the all or nothing drinker. So that's the, oh, the okay. person who is literally abstains all week, right? Mm-hmm. And then Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday they cane it. So they don't have what I call the middle ground of drinking. So what really the 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 psychology the, and the habit behind it is the perfectionist is they're really good achievers. Um, so for example. If they would go to a party on a Saturday night and be training for a marathon and will drink water all night, the pleaser will have a problem with that. They'll have to drink to please the people at the party, right? But the marathon runner will say, oh, I'm not drinking, I'm off the booze for six weeks, and then they do their marathon and then they'll cane it for the week. So they don't have this stop button. They don't have this I've had enough to drink button. And underpinning the perfectionist, because they're they're fantastic at goal setting, Mm -hmm. they're high achievers. But what their mind has perfected is they abstain. So they say, well, I'm really good at alcohol-free days. But then when they drink, they they drink very, very quickly because they're highly anxious people. Um, And the problem is they tend to be the type that will go sober because they can't manage that middle ground, which is another So, I mean, it's a very Yeah, it's a weekend warrior. It's the weekend warrior, I call that. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, the, yeah, so they're, they're really, they're very much, you know, as I said, they're good at setting goals, but one of the goals they can't seem to achieve is getting that middle ground of drinking so they will quit. Um, and as you said, it's just, and, and then, you know, one of, my, one of my friends once said to me, because I'm talking about people who are not alcoholics, I need to stress that. Is right. I'm talking okay. about, you know, fully functioning moms, dads, entrepreneurs, bankers, lawyers, I mean, in my London, I lived in London for 23 years um, and my city clinic in the business section of London was full of lawyers, right? Um, high achievers, very successful, um, you know, and, and but their life is, and I think when we get to about 50, like I'm 56 now, you, you know, a lot of people say to me, I, I thought I would have figured my life out by now. You know, I thought I'd, I'd have everything sorted. Mm-hmm. And actually my life isn't like I've still got to work and I've got, I haven't got enough money for my, my retirement fund. And there's a lot of pressure on people. Um, and I think people assume when you get to 50 that you've your life's going to be pretty perfect. And you get to 50 and think, actually, it's not. But the one thing that, you know, people notice is that that by this stage they want to have their rewards. They've worked really hard. They want to go to a beautiful restaurant. So they want to have lovely wine and they want to have lovely cocktails. But it's that time of, the, of their life where it starts to be noticed. And what you're saying is the body's not functioning as well. Yep. Right? Yep. And 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 I think that's where a lot of people tend to, you know, my program, my my my, my seven-day program, which is about drinking less. I mean, obviously January we have a dry January program as well, but really I find a lot of people say to me, I've just realized I'm just drinking too much. I maybe the retired, um, and I want to drink less. I realize I, I, I want a better quality of life. I want to still enjoy my wine. I want to enjoy my beautiful cocktails, and but I just really want to have a different stance on life. And and so perfectionists get frustrated when they get to that age because they've been such high achievers, right? That they just can't get that middle ground, and they just end up deciding to quit. It's just easier to go sober, um, okay. and I. I think that's fantastic. It's not my 
it's not my pathway. I like my Chardonnay. I like <laughs> my, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But 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 so you know, want to really you know say it's courageous to decide to go completely sober. Um, I'm not saying that I don't have courage. It's just that I'm not an all or nothing person. I'm a pleaser. Yeah, I, but I, I think you're talking about. You said that these are not people with drinking problems. So I think, um, you know, I know I don't have a drinking problem, but I do know that I need to drink less for me to uh, just go through life and feel good. You know, and I think like for me. And a lot of people in my audience, it's about aging better. And as I say, you know, to try to control the things about aging, you can control. Well, alcohol consumption is something I can control. Um, so if I don't feel great, you know, I like, for instance, I no longer, I can't remember the last time I got drunk because I now get to a point where I get a buzz and I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then I switch to water. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to go past that because there's a whole lot, as you said, the things that the, um, pleaser says that that come out of the pleaser's mouth when they've been drinking, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely dial it, dialed it way back, but that's me. And I obviously, I don't, everybody's different and everybody's on their own journey. Um, of course, if somebody wants to give up alcohol completely, good for them. Um, if somebody wants to just control it a bit better, good for them. So can you explain to me what then does a damp January look like as opposed to a dry January? Well, damp is really setting a goal. And I would suggest getting a, a like a, a diary out mm-hmm. um, through the month and decide to have, you know, for example, normally people, you know, I say having to two to three alcohol-free days a week, I think is generally the rule is good. Now there are people, pleasers tend to not have alcohol-free days. They tend to be, they tend to drink every day. But I would say if you could get two or three in there, maybe four, but then when you have that drink, it's it's instead of having three quarters of a bottle of wine is that you get it down to, even, even if it's half, you know, just to, mm-hmm. just to, just to set a goal, you know, um, get the water in. And also, more importantly, is look at this as a beautiful way to start to create a new habit. No, right, right. Because your mind, your mind is, as I said, it's very lazy, and so it just needs some references. It needs a bit of library. It needs a couple of references there so that it can build on that. So the okay. month of having a damp January would be great because it means that what you are offering your your mind and body is another way to be healthier you know mm-hmm. i mean obviously mm-hmm. drinking less when the biggest comments i get is oh my god i've i really have lost a couple of kilos and in mm-hmm. fact some people you use pounds don't you in the us so yeah you know, <laughs> it's okay i know what you meant fact, <laughs> in fact you know talking about that on average somebody when they do you know go on dry january which is obviously completely abstaining is they can lose like seven seven pounds just by not having the booze so it's the, the the calories that alcohol consumes, they're just empty calories. Well, and of course, then yeah. you tend to, when you are drinking, you tend to want more carbs the next day, you know? So so when you cut that out, people notice that their, their blood sugar levels balance out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what is interesting as a bit of a top tip for those who do want to do dry January is when you cut out alcohol, your body will demand the sugar that came from alcohol in food. So yep. people will say, Georgia, you know, I'm drinking less, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm doing a dry January and all I'm craving is chocolate, cake. What's going on? Have I just transferred? Yeah. I said, no, 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 it's just because your body is so used to a, a certain amount of sugar and it's mm-hmm. like give it to me in another format, you know. So I'm yep. saying, you know, what you need to do is just really look at this is exactly what's happening. Your body is just going to adjust itself, you know, and it will adjust over that over the month. And that goes the same when you do a damp January. If you're, as you're reducing your alcohol consumption, your body will maybe ask for that chocolate or that that cookie. Um, and that's just your body saying, I need sugar. But, you know, you can resist it or you can have a natural sugar like some a piece of fruit. Fruit, right, right, right. And just get it in that natural way that's good for your system. So do you think then that when you're doing a damp January, that you should, because to me, it would seem that the whole point of this exercise is to become more aware um, of your, you know, behavior uh, as it pertains to drinking. I don't mean like that you're dancing with a lampshade on your head, but I mean like the other things that come with that behavior. So would it, would it make sense? Cause I know I do this with food when I'm eating in a calorie deficit, I write down every morsel that goes into my mouth. Um, would it help to do that with drinks? Just so you're aware of like, you know, Tuesday night, I had a glass of wine, you know, and then you might look back in that month and say, oh yeah, I used to have two glasses of wine. And now I have, you know, like, is, is it smart to document it? Is this something that you should really be paying attention to because you're trying to change a behavior or, or what? I'm, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, a, a bottle of wine for is, um, I can't remember how much of, how many the calories are, but you know, it's a big chunk of your day of your intake. So, right. you know, why not? If it's a motivator, if if it's to make you feel really bad about yourself, no. If, if anything, right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so if, you know, if, if it's going to trigger the inner critic, stay away from it. Right. Got it. Understood. Okay. So it, it's to do with emotionally where you are at the time. So, but I mean, one of the things that would do is is if whether you're doing damp or dry, is make it your month to really look at at your emotions, look at yeah. how to improve your self-esteem, you know, be a good all-rounder and say, well, wh- where else can I focus when I'm not drinking or I'm drinking less and I'm having alcohol-free days? What can I do to support my self-esteem? You know, is it to, and and, and, I, and I think, you know, I know it's a bit cliche, but, but, you know, do something that puts you out of your comfort zone because once you do something a little bit different, such as drinking less or mm-hmm. is it that you start that? Like I was talking to one of the mums at the school and she said, Georgia, I'm going to come to a Pilates class with you next next year. I'm going to start Pilates. I know I've got to do something for my body. And I'm like, well, just do it, you know. But, you know, she, you know, we've been talking about her doing it for a while now. And the thing is, you know, I know it'd be good for her, but it's not my, my space to say you've got to do it with me. But if she did go out of her comfort zone, she would realise it's a good thing to do for her body. So just right. anything that... So, you know, and actually while, I, while I'm thinking about that, so what actually happens is, and this used to happen to a lot of my, so a, a lawyer client of mine came to see me um, in my London clinic and, and he was really down about his job and he was drinking a lot and there was a lot going on. And I said to him, what, what would you like to do in a perfect world? 
-hmm. And he said, I want to write. I want to write movie scripts. I've got so many, I've got so many interesting clients. I see movies everywhere in my clients. I'm like, wow, that's a great idea. And I said to him, well, why, you know, why are you not doing it? He said, well, he said, the problem I get is I'm sitting down, my wife goes to bed, the kids are there and I'm at my computer and I'm typing away and I've got my bottle of red wine there and I'm writing all this stuff and I'm getting, I'm getting really, really creative. And he said, but I wake up in the morning, I think, oh, that wasn't good enough. I said, that's a typical inner critic. Inner critic, right, right. right? So I said to him, the writer you are only comes out when you drink because your inner critic won't let you go there because it's so left field from what your brain says, I'm a lawyer, stick to this road. But really your, your beautiful aspirations, who you really are, I'm not saying quit your lawyer business, forget, forget, you know, quit that part of your professional life. But I'm saying, why don't you bring in a little bit of that energy? Why don't you start to write, keep the stuff when you've had a few to drink and look at it the next morning without the inner critic there, because I guarantee your writing is really good. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is what happens is I call it the disowned selves come out. The disowned selves are the are the parts that we bring in when we drink, when the inner critic, when the inner critic goes away, people think they're more sexy. You know, a lot of people haven't had sober sex, right? Mm-hmm. Because the inner critic says you've got too much cellulite, you know, or you're not going to be relaxed enough, or whatever it is. So, you know, I know I remember watching the the panel. You know, the four women on the TV in the morning mm-hmm. say to debate things going on in the world. And the one time I watched it. Um, they're all admitting that they'd never had sober sex, you know, and that's an inner critic issue. So I always say to people, it's the thinking before the drinking that's the problem, mm. right? So what, what do you do when you drink that you it's different in your personality? Is it you're more funny? Is it that you're more articulate? Is it more that you're more sociable, which means you're socially shy and the inner critic keeps you away from people? I mean, many people will say to me, you know, I, I, I have a sneaky drink before I go out just to relax me so that I can just be more me, you know. Um, these are just very typical signs of people who are not alcoholics. They've got an inner critic problem. Mm, interesting. Problem. That's interesting. So why does a willpower work? Because your conscious wishes, okay, we'll go to the dieting one because that's it's a really easy one for people to connect to. So on Monday you decide you're going to do this really great diet and you've, you, you've seen it read it in a magazine or people have been talking about it. It's a new book that's come out. That's it. So Monday goes by, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the weekend comes and, and you know, you get invited out for dinner and you're like, oh, my God, I'm really, really stressed about this. And then, you know, you've got this plan. Now a perfectionist would say no, right, because they've, they've, they've got this plan. But a pleaser will think, oh, I really can't say no. I'd like to see my friend and I'll just whatever, you know, and they'll go to the restaurant and they'll end up having a couple of glasses of wine and thinking soda, right? And then they think they've failed themselves. So, but they haven't failed. They haven't failed at all. But what's actually happened is their history of life, their emotional conditioning has been that once you blow it, then you're done. Yep, yep. Yep. Right? That's very, yeah, that's very typical. That's why so many diets fail. Exactly. Because, yeah. it's not, but it's not the truth. Right. So I have a program called The Weightless Mind and I'm really, I am absolutely onto this. I'm like, 
If your inner critic didn't give you a hard time about going to that restaurant on Friday night, would you just go back to healthy eating the next day? And the answer is yes, because it's about an ebb and flow. This is what yeah. life's about, you know? Yeah. So if you, and also you've got to remember that a pleaser who goes into diet mode has to become a perfectionist and they're not happy about that. So they flip, do you know what I'm saying? Yep. They absolutely. flip that personality. So what I'm saying is your conscious wishes, fantastic goals, not a problem at all. But if your unconscious mind or, or your subconscious mind, what some people call it, has a history of yo yo dieting, um, failures, it will just repeat that behavior. So people say to me, George, I have no willpower. I said that willpower does not exist. You've got a, you've got a, an emotional conditioning, an emotional habit around food. Mm-hmm. When you eat when you're sad, you eat when you're angry, you eat when you're lonely, you eat when you're bored, you will, when you go into those emotional states, you on default will consume those foods. And you get really annoyed with yourself. You get really pissed at yourself. But in actual fact, you've got to train that part of the mind that when you are lonely, you change your emotional space, that so you don't go straight to food. As I said, it's same the thing eating. with alcohol. Right, right. Right, yeah, it's I can the same see that. Thing. Right. So you've got to get both parts of the mind to be congruent. You've got to get them on the same page. You've got to get them to communicate with each other and have the same message. And when you do that, incredible things happen. And hypnosis does that very quickly. That's why hypnosis is such a powerful tool because it will train both parts of your mind to have the same goal. Okay. And when you do that, you can achieve so much more, whether it's drinking less, whether it's getting that new job. You know, I mean, when I was in London, I used to see a lot of people for fear of public speaking. It's a big gig, fear of flying. But, you know, as soon as you take that person hypnotically, which is just a, a stage between being awake and asleep. We all go into hypnosis. You can't not be in hypnosis to go to sleep. You know, I had a had a woman who emailed me and wanted a refund for one of my products once, and she said, I went to see the best hypnotherapist in the USA, and she told me I, I couldn't be hypnotized. I'm like, well, you must be very tired because it is that beautiful window, that space between awake and asleep. And in order to go to sleep at night and wake in the morning, you have to go through that brainwave activity. So it's just a lovely way to, I mean, I call myself a progressive therapist rather than regressive. I don't, I really work on the neuroplasticity um, um, in that field where your brain can change. It just, you need to teach it. You need to to change the train tracks and go to a different station. There you go. Yeah. The best, best way to do it, the quickest way and most effective way without, saying, you know, my mother did this to me or my father did this. It's like, well, we're done. We're, we've gone. That, that's, you can't change that. Right. But how you change is your philosophy to it and your state going forward and say, well, I'm responsible for me and I'm going to make it, this change for me, you know? Yep, absolutely. So let, here's my, my last question for you. What are some, you have any top tips for people to drink less? Yeah, as I said, water, dough, drink one, water one, mm-hmm. make sure you're eating something when you're drinking mm-hmm. to help the liver process. And another thing that's really important um, so we'll, is get a really good probiotic. We actually have a liver supplement um, for drinkers. So because they're vitamin Bs, when you drink alcohol, one of the reasons why you get really hungover is that your vitamin B gets depleted when you drink alcohol. So a really good B, multi B would be good. A really good probiotic because alcohol can be like, bleach for the gut and it mm-hmm. gets rid alcohol can really 
um, uh, just yeah, deplete a lot of things. So get a good liver supplement that's, that's good for you, probiotic. Um, and I think the thing is before you drink, just start work on your emotions. Keep an emotional diary for a week. What are your triggers? Is it that you're lonely, you know, and it becomes your friend? Is it a way to communicate? Are you socially shy? You know, start to think about ways to change, break that state by if you're bored, find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if your normal, you know, beer o'clock, wine o'clock is five o'clock or six o'clock, stretch it to, to 7.30. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people say to me, you know what's really interesting? Once I've had my main meal in the evening, I'm not that interested in alcohol. It's that pre-dinner thing, right? So make it later. Um, if you want to have an alcohol-free day, do something. Don't do your tax return, right? Because then you mind <laughs> having alcohol-free days with something that's really boring and arduous, and then not you really need a drink, right? Right. Yeah. Something, something, uh, something that but, makes you happy. Exactly. Right? Okay. Got it. All exactly. right. So all, right. all these things will be really helpful in terms of breaking the state and doing something different and, and shifting your, because really what I'm talking about here right. under this is shifting your emotional state from being anxious or fearful or negative to a better place. And the more you do that, the more your mind says, I'm getting those endorphins, I'm getting that dopamine and I don't need the booze because it's looking for the dopamine. Got it. Yep. Understood. Okay. So this is more in an emotional uh, type of exercise. Then it is really about the alcohol. I mean, right. Right. Okay. I Correct. think, uh, okay. And I like this. So you and I were speaking before I, I can get on board with a damp January. I, I, I always think that like an all or nothing approach is a recipe for failure in my, my mind, you know, for me. Um, so, you know, I'm not like an all or nothing kind of person. I sort of like maybe cut back a bit, moderate, you know, like, yeah. I just don't, it's, I don't do new year's resolutions either because it's like an all or nothing kind of mentality in my mind. I, I set intentions. <laughs> well, I think that's a good point to make just to, right. to finish off is that if you, you know, statistically we know what happens with new year's resolutions and yeah, that's simply the critic. That's yeah. the critic. The right. critic going, Oh yeah, yeah. You, how long are you going to last? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we need to make sure that, you know, that before you, if you hear an inner critic comment, you say, you know, then you replace it with something of the opposite. Yeah. Because the more your mind hears and feels those words, the more it gets it. Right. Right. Exactly. That's why I try to take those things out. That could be an inner critic where I can mean girl myself. I try to maybe not do those things. Besides some yeah. of it, I, well, I, I know at some point I'm going to forget and have a glass of wine. You know, something's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to fail somehow. Um, well, then, the goal is to not fail, is to be right. kinder to yourself and have a balance. Exactly. And, and that's that's what I'm always preaching. Like we need to be kinder to ourselves. So if, you know, doing a dry January, you know, is is not going to be kind to yourself, then go damp, yeah. <laughs> you know, cut back a bit. Maybe, you know, be aware and write down those emotional behaviors and how you're feeling and, you know, notice I, what I'm, to me, to do anything like this, I hope, you know, there's a benefit, like you learn something, you help your health, something beneficial comes from doing something like this. Yeah. You know, um, that helps you moving forward. So yeah. I, 
I'm totally on board with us. I just thought this was a great topic to talk about now, uh, especially since New Year's is coming up. Uh, this is great. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up today? Or No, just thank you for having me. And if anybody's got any questions, obviously, they can contact me at my website, which is georgiafoster.com. And, um, you know, anything that people want to ask me in terms of drinking or food or anxiety or self-esteem, you know, that's what I specialize in. That's great. And I'll put all of this in the show notes. I'll have a link to everything in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much. This is, this has been very interesting. So we're going to wrap it up. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. I have a new pro-aging podcast bi-weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities, although we might take a little time off for the new year. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, it's really about shifting your emotional state, whether you choose to do a dry January, a damp January, or just a regular January. So take care, everybody. Happy New Year. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.